0: shows how crop rotations keep the land covered and at work, producing bees a
1: year-round, different crop-livestock combinations on regular farm-size units. Farm Commons! Welcome to the first of Farm Commons 2017 podcasts. This is episode one. Funds for Farms, or How to Finance Your Farming. We host webinars, we record podcasts, we teach workshops, and produce a digital ton of free material. It's all on our website, farmcommons.org. You want to go there. And we take some basic approaches to these podcasts. We want you to think about community and relationships, and we want you to think about risk and how to manage it. Here's our Executive Director, Rachel Armstrong.
2: I'm Armstrong, and I'm the founder and executive director of Farm Commons. Uh, we built this organization to cultivate a community of support and resources for sustainable farmers. Uh, we do that because we really believe that strong, resilient, sustainable farm businesses are built on a
0: solid legal foundation.
1: Some people feel like they're meant to be farmers. They feel a deep yearning to work the land, to collaborate with the earth and with other farmers. And produce food. But what do you do if you feel like you're born to farm, but you're not born on a farm? Many hopeful farmers find themselves in exactly that predicament. And so on this episode, we're going to talk about funding your farm fix, financing your farming. There are many ways to do it. With some good karma and some knowledge of the basics and of the risks, you have a decent chance at finding the funding. Because as it turns out, you have a lot of options
2: first legal category would be the flexibility of funding options broadly. This is, for the most part, the issue of how you're going to raise money from friends, relatives, community members, and strangers to start your farm is fairly flexible. I mean, as compared to employment law, it's, you know, this is not the most regulated area in town under most circumstances. You know, what are the assets and resources that you have? What are the assets and resources of your community and those who have land and your family? And how can you really leverage that to your benefit?
1: Rachel's right. The law isn't going to tell you how to raise money, but the law is going to provide the consequences or regulatory requirements that are associated with raising money in a particular way. And so that flexibility carries some risk management burdens with it like the burden of making sure that you write it all down. You get the terms, you be clear, and you make sure that everything's written down.
2: When it comes to issues of flexibility, you really need to be clear. When things are very much dependent on what do you want and what do I want, we have to know what we really want. And we have to get it on paper so that we remember what we want and so that we are motivated to think through if things don't go how we plan.
1: In fact, Rachel says, writing it down is a universally a good idea, no matter what your method of financing your farm dreams might be.
2: That's a theme in gifts, crowdfunding, but land contracts, investors, partners, it's, you know, that runs through everything.
1: So being careful, reading over things, and having someone else look over all of it, that's essential.
2: I think sometimes people have the assumption that the small print doesn't matter, that it's not binding. Our digital world only exacerbates that problem because we're so accustomed to having to agree to certain terms that it would take us forever to read, you know, just to be able to use an email program or access a website or whatever it is that we're doing. We're agreeing to reams and reams of small print that... Uh, we we don't really understand and we don't care about. And we just assume that uh, because this is so pervasive that it's not legally binding. And although at one point in the history of the law on this subject, it did look as, as though maybe these things weren't going to be binding. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the direction that the law has taken on that is is the opposite. It is binding, even if, as a cultural expectation, we must use you know, we must access certain websites. Uh, those the, the, the terms of use are still binding, and that's that's a really hard spot for any of us to be in. Whether we're talking financing, um, you know, loans and mortgages or anything, we're becoming desensitized to, to the fine print.
1: And then there's the risk management needs associated with reporting your income and paying necessary taxes.
2: There is a taxable aspect to most exchanges of money.
1: It's pretty much unavoidable.
2: Anytime there's money changing hands, then there's an issue of where it's taxed and how it's taxed.
1: Why? Well, the IRS doesn't like it when revenue is disguised as non-revenue, and there are many ways this can happen if they allow transfers of money without proper accountability. For example, the reasoning behind the gift tax and its relative, the estate tax, is that without it, large estates could be reduced by giving away all the property right before the death of the owner with no real tax penalty or tax burden attached to it.
2: The tax code is designed to defeat creative strategies like that and we'll find a way to uh, to extract from that transaction.
1: And at Farm Commons, we think it's a good idea to keep in mind this important highly technical legal analysis from Rachel.
2: If it looks like a duck, and it waddles like a duck, and it quacks like a duck, then it's a duck.
1: So we need to be aware of ways that common sense relationships or money exchanged between friends and family looks very different to the government than it does to you and your friends and family. Take, for example, a situation where someone gives you money and says you only need to pay them back if your farming venture is successful. That sounds like a kind and common sense approach for friends or loved ones to help each other out. But the IRS might see it as something different. If payment is relative to the success of the business, that sounds more like an investment uh, than a loan. Or a loan with no payback expectation, the kind that you might get from parents or a generous aunt. The IRS might see a no interest loan as some kind of tax avoidance scheme. Your aunt gives you a loan and says, pay me back in 10 years with no collateral uh, then, uh, or no interest. Uh, I mean, that might look like a security, a tradable financial asset subject to regulation and also subject to capital gains tax.
2: The repayment of, um, of a loan. know, even even a creative land contract. You know, investors and partners. How you're structuring um, the return on that investment. So often, so creativity can can lead us into um, a securities trap, and we just need to know if we're getting close to that or not, and what that means.
1: So that's the theme we're driving home on this episode. There are many flexible ways to raise money for your farming venture, but. Each one carries certain burdens of risk management, things you need to do to take care of business. Personally, I'd rather deal with chicken coops than banks, but it is what it is.
2: I think the states are especially high when it comes to raising capital, uh, especially to purchase Farmland. Um, opportunities to buy farmland are few and far between. And if you are on track to get the money you need and then you run into a problem, you might lose that opportunity. It can be really detrimental to your long term vision to mess up the strategy. The financial consequences of goofing this stuff up can be pretty high. If you don't understand the tax implications of a certain strategy and you end up paying tax where you wouldn't have otherwise had to, or where you do come to a nice agreement about a seller financing strategy on a parcel of land and you run into a disagreement three years down the road and the deal falls apart, that's just really sad, you know, and that can be really expensive.
1: Each method of obtaining financing carries with it a need for risk management. So. I'm going to briefly talk about those methods and the legal risk management needs associated with them. First, you might obtain the money via a gift. Well, not to look a gift horse in the mouth, but, well, sorry, you probably didn't think that was very funny. But you need to make sure it's actually a gift. Are there any conditions attached to it? Is there some kind of verbal contract? Is it really a loan? If it's a gift, also the giver, under certain circumstances, has to pay taxes on it. I know that's not directly your problem as the receiver, but do you know if the giver is aware of that? And if it's actually something else, a loan, a contract, an investment, then you have to treat it as such. If you're not sure, you should ask an attorney. Second, you might use grants and crowdfunding. These are really good things, but again, you're bringing in money. Now, just because you're bringing in money doesn't mean that you necessarily have a tax burden. A business doesn't owe taxes on all the revenue it takes in. Taxes are only owed on the profit or the value of the revenue over the expenses. If the business has enough expenses, then you can cancel out the revenue, which diminishes profits and thus taxes. This can get tricky, however, depending on when in the year you're receiving money from your grant or crowdfunding campaign in relation to when the tax year ends. If you don't carefully plan your incoming revenue and outgoing expenses, you could end up in a complicated tax situation. The best way to manage the accounting and reporting of that, if you're doing a grant or a crowdfunding campaign, is to work with an accountant. Third, you might seek a loan. There are many kinds of loans. So the first part of legal risk management is to familiarize yourself with the territory. We're going to talk in a few minutes about loans, including some very creative crowd finance loan approaches that a couple of our farmer friends have benefited from. But anytime you seek a loan, you should always be asking, when will it be paid back? How will or can it be paid back? What's the interest rate? Are there penalties for early payoff? Can the debt or ownership of the debt or can responsibility be transferred over to someone else? And as we said before, you need to get all the terms in writing. Ask the lender whether those are indeed all the terms that they intend. You may want to show the loan documents to an attorney just to make sure that you aren't missing anything. And now a brief tangent. What if you want to get creative? Let's say that your lender knows that you're going to be growing some awesome kale on the farm. Or, as Rachel discusses, your lender knows that you're making bacon. Can you pay off your loan in bacon? Well, maybe, but be careful
2: are a really valuable opportunity for for farms. Cash isn't the most abundant asset on most farms. I think farmers do well by themselves to think about their assets broadly. So when farmers go down that path, uh, they they open up more doors for themselves. But at the same time that they open up those doors, they open up the need for even more communication. We know what a dollar is, we know what a dollar's worth, Uh, we understand how to value that. We think we know what bacon is, and we think we know what it's worth. But we don't always know what that means. Is this 40 pounds of bacon? Is it sliced? Do I have to go to the processor to get it? When does it arrive? All of the answers to those questions really shape the value of, of what I'm of what I'm looking at, and shape whether that deal is, a, is is one I would like to get into. So it's when we don't discuss that, when we're not clear about exactly what we're exchanging, that uh, you know we just introduce the possibility that people aren't going to be happy in the end. And that is not good in a finance and capital raising strategy.
1: So here's an interesting law story. In 1960, A chicken distributor sued a chicken supplier because the distributor had asked for chicken, meaning chickens suitable for frying and cooking, and the supplier instead sent along a bunch of chickens that were smaller, maybe suitable for stew, but not suitable for fried chicken. And uh, the U.S. District Court of New York finally found in favor of the defendant and said, well, chicken, as far as we're concerned, means Chickens of all kinds, not just chickens of the friable kind or the fat or young kind. Uh, and so you should have been more specific about the kind of chicken that you were asking for. And so the plaintiff ended up ended up losing. And we should make sure that we agree on what things mean Because your bacon may not be the same as my bacon. And you should read the detailed advice also about how to go about loans in our free guide, Financing Your Farmland Purchase. At the end of the program, we're going to tell you how to get that free guide. And there are other methods we won't cover in this podcast, but you'll want to learn about. Things like seller financing. The dynamics are different, but many of the risk management techniques listed uh, already are the same land contracts are another thing that you might learn about. And you can learn about land contracts in another guide that we publish at Farm Commons called Financing Farmland with an Effective Land Contract, a Toolbox. All of these resources are available at farmcommons.org slash resources. And again, uh, we'll talk about them at the end of the episode. And of course, you can bring in investors, which we'll talk about on another podcast. That's going to be our episode on business formation and business entities. You may have heard that it's hard to get loans for farm operations, and harder now than it's been in a long time. On the bright side, at least you're unlikely to be the victim of predatory lending.
2: Farmers are a little bit insulated from some of the most predatory or extreme practices, especially when it comes to uh, to mortgages and land access. Very often, farmers are not attractive targets for these kinds of opportunities. From traditional Banks and uh, and folks who are making money on the mortgage industry, uh, the farmer is not their target. Uh, sometimes that can go the that goes the opposite direction, where uh, a, a farmer with a r- really good track record of production who has a terrific business plan, you know, and a great market and all those things, still can't find anyone to give them money.
1: So I recently visited the Center for Rural Affairs website. There you can find information about Farm Service Agency or FSA loans, and these include loans for beginning farmers. In many cases, you have to have tried to get the loans elsewhere and failed. And as you know, federal funds are tight these days. Uh, The federal government will, in some instances, uh, partner with private lenders to make those loans. The best way to learn about all of that stuff is also to go straight to the source, the United States Department of Agriculture. You can go to fsa.usda.gov. You can also ask your local extension office for more information on the wide range of public and private financing available. But the world is changing in many ways and our thinking about finance is changing. Earlier, we talked about crowdfunding. Well, there are also crowd-sourced loans. And uh, a few years ago, a great lending platform developed called Kiva Zip Loans.
3: Kiva is a, an organization that uh, allows for anybody in the world to loan money to anybody else. It's an interest-free loan. Um, you can loan as little as $25. It's a crowdfunding source for loans rather than for donations like a lot of crowd crowdfunding sites.
1: That's our friend Tracy, a successful small farmer in Montana.
3: My name is Tracy potter and I am the owner-manager, along with my wife Margaret, of County Rail Farm in western Montana, just outside of Missoula. And we grow a variety of vegetables on uh, an acre and a half this year, primarily wholesale markets, but we also do the farmer's markets in Missoula twice a week. So we moved to Montana in 2010, started farming at a property that we leased um, in 2011 and had been there for six years until we moved this past fall to our new location in Houston, Montana, um, which is about 45 minutes from where we were before. And this will be our seventh season farming. We've grown slowly, but pretty efficiently and we started out with a CSA and market garden and a little bit of wholesale, and we've moved to more retail packaging and more wholesale At the for the last few years. Uh, we hire two people every year for summer employment, and I work full-time on the farm. Margaret's part-time. For me, and I think for Margaret as well, um, I started out wanting to be outside, wanting to work with my hands, and got a job. Um on a farm in upstate New York. And I loved it. Um, it just, it spoke to me for whatever reason. And um, as I got more into farming for myself, I realized that it involved being a little bit of everything. So a, a farmer includes being a carpenter, being an electrician, being a soil scientist, being a botanist, being a weather person. You know, there's, there's a lot of aspects to what we call farming.
1: And you should also meet our other farmer friend, Greg, and he is a farmer in Moscow, Idaho.
0: My name is Greg and I am the owner and farmer of Deepwood Farm. Uh, we're located in Moscow, Idaho, right in the city limits. And we've farmed a variety of sites, upwards of 12 through the years, and we're, we're in the process of whittling those down so that we're at only um, 3 or 4 this, this year. We produce diverse of vegetables. For a, a, a large Saturday market, uh, CSA program, and restaurant, local restaurants as well as food co-op, we have generally been about an acre in cultivated space with uh, laying hens and a small orchard um, attached. increase that land base, and we've had um, anywhere from from one to three, three to four people. Um,
1: these two amazing young farmers got into the business for similar reasons and both faced the same financial challenges
0: so
3: we we went about financing in a couple ways we did a lot of research for financing our new spot um, through FSA and through other local land trusts and none of those quite panned out for our situation so we went with sort of personal financing with a residential loan through a bank with the help of my parents. But the other big part of that, which they couldn't help with, was moving the farm and building new infrastructure and getting everything set up for the season at the new place. And we wound up getting a um, growth through agriculture grant, um, Montana Department of Ag, which was a up to $50,000 matching grant. And we got $40,000 to use to... Get our farm rolling and we used our farm purchase as the match for that. So we were essentially had 40 grand to use to relocate and expand. What we didn't have was the cash flow to make that happen. So in order to get that GTA fund, we needed to show receipts for infrastructure or for work that had already been paid for to get that kickback.
1: Here's where their stories become remarkably similar. Both Tracy and Greg talked to community agriculture agents in their localities, and both were told about Kiva Zip loans. Kiva Zip loans are crowdsource loans. You begin by getting people who you know know and who know you uh, to chip in on those loans, and then you reach an advanced stage where general funding uh, from other Kiva lenders becomes possible
3: the Community Food and Agriculture Coalition in Missoula and I knew that they were starting to look into Kiva loans. My parents had given us gift certificates to, um, to use on the Kiva site for holiday gifts. So we knew about Kiva but had only heard that it was in the U.S. pretty recently and we we're pretty excited about giving it a go. So when the Community Food and Agriculture Coalition in Missoula decided to become a trustee uh, through feedback, meaning that they would screen borrowers before uh, Kiva would put them on the website, we jumped on that and um, we were one of the first group of borrowers in Montana with Alpha feedback. And we asked for the maximum through Kiva, which is $10,000, and to pay back over three years. We both felt a little bit uncomfortable asking people just straight out for donations to fund our personal for-profit business, but also genuinely needed that cash flow to make this happen. Um, And so we reached out to our community, and we were funded really quickly. We were funded in under a week. We were told
0: about it through uh, a county extension agent. that was actually a CSA member and had helped us throughout the years kind of brainstorming different disease issues. Farm started, and so she, um, through her job, she was she was asked to be what's called a trustee. And so, you, when you go for a loan, keep a loan. You you are in touch with um, this board of trustees, and they, they help you through the process um, getting the loan. And so, you know, through throughout the
3: whole process, it was very, quite a quick process and, and fairly easy to go through. Some modifications have happened in the last few years, but it's still a fairly easy process. I think Kiva loans are pretty uniquely approachable in terms of funding. Going through banks, going through other loan processes can be overwhelming and time-consuming and exhausting. Taking the sort of the grant application process and the Kiva loan process side by side, the Kiva loan was pretty quick and easy, pretty simple. I highly recommend. If you're Even if you're just looking for $1,000 for seeds for your first season to go for it. If you have a few friends and family that are willing to donate a couple bucks, that's going to push you into the um, sort of open funding on, Cuba, on the Kiva site. And the folks at Kiva are easy to work with. Um, they are very responsive. They listen to what you're looking for, what you need to do, um, and they really help you through the process of the application if you need help with that, but absolutely through the process of getting your loan funded. Go on Kiva.org and check it out.
1: And Kiva Zip loans are even more generous now than they were when Tracy and Greg first took advantage of them, and Greg was also amazed at their easy terms. Uh applying for agricultural uses,
0: we had a six-month deferment once we received the funds. And and like I said, that, that process of building the, the business plan um, was heavily focused on marketing and, and what our projections
1: were of, of how we were going to pay the money back. So I'm here at the Kiva website. It's kiva.org. There's a menu for lenders. You can see who's asking for money. You can lend to them just like you donate at Indiegogo or GoFundMe, but it's lending uh, and you're going to get that same amount of money back in three years. There's also a page for borrowers. It says, rather than assessing your credit history and financial statements, Kiva uses your character and trust network as a measure of credit worthiness. First, you'll be encouraged to join our community by making a small loan to a another business owner, then you'll be asked to invite a number of lenders to launch your fundraising. Once you have the support of your friends and family, your loan will begin publicly fundraising from our network of over a million lenders without ever sending us a credit report or a bank statement. Now, the process still involves paperwork. It still requires accountability. Uh, You have to be able to convince those who broker these transactions that you have a good business plan. And it's important to have your ducks in a row because you aren't paying interest and you might even get a relief period where you don't have to start paying the loan back right away. Ultimately, Rachel says, the success of these loans depends on the same relationships, the same social capital that makes farmers good at what they do in their communities overall.
2: Opportunities like Kiva Loans and other crowdfunding platforms, I think, are becoming very useful for farmers. I think their success using these tools really depends on the relationships they've already developed in their own communities, So, I think... What uh, folks like Kiva and other crowdfunding platforms are providing is a really streamlined framework to take advantage of what farmers have have built for themselves already. You know, you've got a bunch of people who care about your farm, um, who know that you're trying to do X, Y, Z, uh, and they want to be a part of that. Uh, these, these platforms give them a quick and easy way to do that, you know, at 9pm from the comfort of their couch. I think they offer a lot of opportunity for farmers as well because they tend to handle, and not always, not always, but a lot of times they are handling some of the fine print. When we're talking about concerns like, okay, who who bears tax responsibility for this or are we creating security or things like that, Uh, some of the crowdfunding platforms out there help to manage those obligations and they do that either because they don't allow you to create something to create a deal um, that that could get you or them into trouble but also they lay out that fine print and so at least legal obligations are are covered from that standpoint
3: Liking food, wanting to be outside, and wanting to have a space where friends and family feel welcome and wanted and taken
1: care of. You're going to want to visit farmcommons.org. You might never want to leave. We have a library full of legal resources for farmers, and they're all free. As we've already discussed, check out Financing a Farmland Purchase Legal Basics for Traditional and Non-Traditional Farmland Purchases. If you're interested in land contracts, which we haven't covered today, check out Financing Farmland with an Effective Land Contract, a Toolbox. Once you have a handle on financing, you'll be interested in our business formation guides and eventually a lot of other things too. Will you have workers on your farm? Then you need to understand employment law, etc, etc. Uh, Just register your account, pay nothing at all, and download guidebooks and manuals, watch webinars and videos, and listen to our podcast. I hope this episode has helped you get a handle on how community relationships and risk management are powerful tools in developing a plan to finance your farm venture we have not and will not cover everything in these podcasts and we aren't giving legal advice talk to an attorney if you have specific questions about your farming situation this material is funded in partnership with the u.s department of agriculture risk management agency music comes courtesy of huma huma and jason shaw and audionautics music under a creative commons license The Executive Director of Farm Commons is Rachel Armstrong. Our Lead Research Attorney is Aaron Hannum. And I'm Matt Stannard. Want to contact us? Visit farmcommons.org and click Contact.